Hi everyone and welcome back to the Chobo Football Podcast. We are back with the weekend recap and I'm John Marco Cheng. I'm joined by Mark Kinyanjui. Hi Mark. Uh, hi guys. Um, as always, it's good to be back. And before we go on, um, make sure you you check and like, share and subscribe. Subscribe uh, at the Tasseling Maniacs, where some snippets of this podcast are, are, are posted there. So um, if, if you've not heard of it, ensure you like, share, and subscribe. And as always, we'll talk some more, but it's good to be back. And I'm joined by a first-time guest, Phil Nyaga. Hi, Phil. Hey, hey John Mark. Uh, hey, everyone. Um, uh, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk as I'm a fan, I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm a big, big Chelsea fan, but more so I'm a football fan and I'm more than happy to be given this platform to share my thoughts. Yeah, thank you so Welcome. much. For, thank you so much for coming on, Phil. Um, we'll just go straight in. Uh, we'll start with perhaps the most boring game. We won't really cover it. Brighton nil, Burnley nil. To be honest, uh, the only reason I watched this is because it was an, on a Friday night. I had nothing else to do. There are no other matches to watch. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, Nick Pope was the man of the match. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and on to the next match. Uh, Southampton beat Newcastle 2-0 uh, with a goal from Shea Adams and Stuart Armstrong. Um, I was really uh, fascinated by the performance of Theo Walcott and Southampton, they capitalized on two individual errors from Longstaff and Almiron. So um, is there anything you you want to talk about uh, Southampton? Since the the 9-0 defeat, they've really improved. They've kind of been more defensively astute and um, they've kind of learned the system and even if Jack Stevens was at left back they really did well so um Mark what did you think of, what do you think about Southampton um okay personally I've been really impressed by how Hassan Hattel has managed to turn around the fortunes of that club um I vividly remember that Naimil humiliation because I watched it. it was I think the first game after the international break and they were so all over the place. Angus Gunn had a game to forget. I don't think he's ever played again. Um, I thought Hassan Hattel was going to be sacked immediately after that game. But then um, after that, I think they sort of went on a sort of like um, bonding, some community activity. They went together and I think they reevaluated their you know, their, their performances. And then from there, um, they steadily climbed back up the ladder. Uh, and... I, I remember the game after that. Um, it was, I think, Unai Emery's last game in charge in the Premier League. Um, they came to the Emirates. Um, we had twice the possession, uh, but they had twice the shots. So you can imagine how Shamboli even <laughs> we were that day before Emery was sacked. So um, they managed to turn around the fortunes. Um, I like their philosophy. Um, in my opinion, it's very, very similar to 
Julian Nagelsmann's philosophy for where um, the emphasis into is to counterpress without the ball, um, vertical movements, you know, um, positive patterns of play, um, and the fact that they've gone from being 19th in the league with only two wins from the team games back then to being temporarily top of the league for Friday and now they are fourth only one point behind Leicester City, I think. Um, it's, it, it goes to show you how positive they've been, the way Hassan Hartl has managed to, you know, keep the dressing room um, atmosphere um, positive. And yeah, um, I actually mentioned two to three podcasts ago that there was a poll that was that was put out um, for all Premier League fans, among which fans were feeling most optimistic on a scale of first in the league to 20th in the league. And they were first in the league for for feeling optimistic. So that goes to show you how Hassan Hattel has turned their fortunes around. So, yeah, credit to them. Credit to them and good luck to them. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'd like to add that um, their form has been based mo- mostly on... Uh, Danny Ings, and I like the fact that now the burden is now going, uh, is being shared by Shea Adams, and like the creativity is coming through by Ward Prowse and Ward Prowse, uh, Stuart Armstrong, and Redmond. Uh, it's very, it's very positive when you watch Southampton. They're never a team that will just settle to, uh, a nil nil or a one one. They always want to go for more. I was reading a certain stat even that uh, ever since that 9-0 win, they are fifth in the form table. So you, you could imagine the amount of work yeah. that they've put in with uh, high, highlight results like the, when they beat Man City 1-0, uh, the, comeback against, uh, the comeback against Chelsea recently. They even went to Old Trafford when Manu had good form and drew against them. I'll beat in the 95th minute. So I'd say Southampton are really playing, have been playing well. Um, I'm just interested to see how they'll handle the whole Dunning's injury. I think the international break has come at a, at a good time for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think Danny Ings will apparently be out for like six weeks. And now we'll, we'll move on to a team which plays well but was beaten by just. I do not understand how this match ended for one. Uh, Crystal Palace, they beat Leeds for one with uh, Ebereche Eze running the show. Uh, he got a goal and an assist, uh, which was scored by, by, by Scott Dunn. And Jordan Ayu made it for one with a goal from Patrick Bamford, uh, making it 2 1. And he got an offside goal uh, just because he was pointing to where he wanted the ball, uh, the offside rule. To be honest, he did insane. <laughs> Lucky. Yeah. Oh, and um, you know, um, I think we we are going to talk about this offside rule and generally, um, you know, the handball rule later in the podcast with the Man City Liverpool game. But um, I think. That rule, I think, I, I don't think it needs to 
to I think it needs to be amended. I've I've said it countless times. I don't want to repeat myself. I can give examples. Even the game against Mane, where possibly his pubic hair was caught offside for the winning goal <laughs> against you guys. But unfortunately, that wasn't to be the case, you know. Um, and it's not even a joke because that one was, you know, it's not even visible to the naked eye. Um, I, I don't know because. Um, in my opinion, in my opinion, I think um, it should be the feet or something at least, or even the head. You know, um, body parts that are that are actually allowed contact of the ball. You know, I think those are the parts that should be considered to be ruled for offside. But for Bamford at that point, he's pointing so like he's he's telling the crosser where he wants the ball to 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 come to him. So I, I, I don't understand how that was sort of like, like ruled for offside, uh, but because his hand was way offside, uh, to be fair, I can understand the reasoning. But in my opinion, I think they should change that rule to um, you can be ruled offside only if the body parts that are allowed to sort of like, you know, um, be in contact with the ball, be it the head or even the feet specifically, or oh, maybe the chest. Allowed. Yeah. I think those are the body parts that should be allowed. But for for something like a hand, I think there is enough ambig- uh, ambiguity to say that you know, um, for VAR to sort of like allow it for onside. Because personally, I didn't understand how that was not a goal. Because otherwise, he was through on goal and very well. But um, what I want to talk about is Eberechieze. I read his story. Um, this kid has come from far, to be honest with you, because when he was 13, he was released by Arsenal, uh, which was his boyhood club. And apparently that day he went home and cried. He's had to sleep. Uh, his mom had to sort of like comfort him. But one thing led to another, and then he ended up at Millwall. And then, as recently as two years ago, Millwall were deeming not good enough, you know, to make uh, their, their 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 senior squad, which honestly is is just baffling, given how good he is to in in my eyes at least, because he's a good dribbler. Um, you know, he understands football, in my opinion. He knows how to dominate those sort of like half spaces. Um, he's very technical. So I don't understand how he wasn't deemed good enough to make it at Millwall, which are battling relegation in the championship consistently for the last like 10 years. I, you know, <laughs> it's baffling, you know. Um, to a point, he was even considering joining college because he didn't see himself making it as a footballer. Because if you are being released by Arsenal at Millwall, aren't you know, sort of like deeming you good enough, it won't do your confidence any world of good. But um, one thing led to another, he begged for a trial and QPR, and the rest is history. And now he's He's, you know, a millionaire in the Premier League week in, week out. So that goes to show you his mental strength. Um, you know, it was good that he finally got off the mark uh, for Palace. And what a way to get off the mark with that stunning free kick, which in my opinion should um, be goal of the month. Okay, the month isn't over, but for me, that's the goal of the month so far. Um, and um, he got the assist, uh, which scored... I think it was called Dan or something. I don't remember who who got on the end of it. So, um, 
you know, a man of the match performance from him, and let's hope from here on out um, his trajectory is going to be on another level, you know, because I believe the kid can go so far, given how strong he is mentally already, given his story. Yeah, definitely. And um, Phil, you, 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 you are just pointing this out to us, how um, leads they tend to struggle against sides which basically give them possession, then they just have a deep block of 4-4, four, four, then 4-5 four, and 1 or 4-4 four, four and 2. Um, what, did, what do you think about leads and yeah. how they'll do against a deep block? Um, it's something that uh, I noticed even in the Leicester game and when you're watching the post-match interviews, um, Leeds played well in both games. They, they dominated, they created chances. I'd say I, I would partly blame their finishing, but also the fact that they're normally so energetic going forward, like everyone's involved in the whole process. That being caught in the counter-attack, um, they're always prone to that. Like uh, Last Monday, they were playing against Jimmy Vardy, who's among the best counter-attacking players in the league. Today, I mean, that, sun, that Saturday, they were playing against Zaha, who's very good with the ball, can dribble plus multiple players and create space. Uh, Eze, as Mark has uh, described him as a dribbler. So when teams sit back and allow leads to have the ball, Leads do create chances, but they're always prone to a counter-attack. But if they play teams like uh, like how they played Man City, uh, how they play Aston Villa, teams that actually want to play football, that's when they, they, they really suit them. So, like, in, you know, Leeds are playing Arsenal in two weeks' time, and they will talk about Arsenal, but that's a game that I'm looking forward to. I think Bielsa needs to start coming up with a way of playing differently against those sort of teams. Uh, otherwise, um, they might struggle to hit the heights we all know they can. Yeah, and um, we'll move on to the final match on Saturday. It was West Ham 1, Fulham 0. Uh, the goal came from came from Suchek, uh, assisted by Said Benrama, who um, it's quite shocking that not so many Premier League clubs are in for him. I think he'll probably do well at West Ham for like two, three years, then a truly big Premier League side will come for him. And uh, it featured, well, that wasn't the real highlight of the match. The highlight of the match was the attempted Panenka by Ademola Lukman on loan from RB Leipzig. And it was just an awful attempt. I regret even seeing it a few times. Like, why did he... It's the 96th minute. Your team hasn't won a single game this season. Every point is valuable. And you try to do a panenka. And even Mitrovic, he, he decides to give him the penalty, which absolutely makes no sense. So, um, Phil, what did you think about it? Um, to be honest, I was looking at uh, him before he hit the penalty. I was like, this guy is going to score. Like, he's, he's going to be the guy who just blasts the ball with power, but uh, with enough placement to 
beat Fabianski and like they secure the one one. Um <laughs> but then he comes and saves Ben Rama's blushes who was and give away the penalty. Um um that that has rocked his confidence, no doubt. He'll be down for quite a few weeks. Uh if I'm the manager, it's a cheeky one, but I think uh, Scott Parker, at least the players, were really into Lukman for the decision. It's it's a brave one, and he should be given credit for that, but um, I, I doubt he'll take any penalties in the next, like, six years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, to add, on that, to add on that, he'd never taken a penalty in his... He's never taken a penalty in his entire senior career. So that was the first one. And yes, I understand what he was trying to do. He was, maybe it's something he tried in training. Because Mitrovic mm-hmm. to stand up and give him that penalty, he must have been doing something nice in training. Um, going back to like two seasons ago, when he had Kamara fought over a penalty. Um, um, you remember what happened then Kamara went on to miss that penalty. I don't understand. And um, maybe he gave him because Mitrovic tends to be very emotional. He's a very emotional player, by the way. So maybe they don't trust him enough to take those sort of like penalties because maybe he might get angry or so. Um, in my opinion, in my opinion, yes, every um, point counts every point counts and it's the very last minute of the game and you're trying to salvage a one one draw to keep you up keep you up because every point will count at the end of the season and then he goes on to miss it. He'll probably never take another one. Maybe he will maybe it will, it's going to maybe it's a learning curve for him because he'll learn never to you know um take one of the best keepers in the league even statistically over the last five or six years in Fabianski for granted because I think that was taking him for granted and he was made to pay and rightly so. Um, but Lukman, he needs to, you know, sort of like talk, stop taking things for granted, you know, because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He's starting games week in, week out in the Premier League, something he was unable to do when he was at Everton, something that, you know, he was unable to do at Leipzig because maybe seemingly Nagelsmann doesn't seem to sort of like rate him or maybe he doesn't feel that he is quite ready to step up to the task uh, because anyway, Nagelsmann doesn't like using out-and-out wingers. He sort of like prefers using advanced playmakers or two-man strikers. So maybe he's not that type of player, but he can learn from that. So he needs to stop taking things for granted because I'm sure if fans were there, they'd be calling for his head right now. And I also want to give special mention to Creswell uh, because um, to be honest with you, Creswell has been, has been giving 10 over 10 of performances week in, week out, mm. especially at at left center back. Um he was yeah. unlucky he didn't get to score um um from that free kick which was an absolute belter. Um so unlucky it hit the post. I think if it was a crossbar challenge um it would have done his 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 advantage are all the good points wise, but he did because he's not FIFA where you sort of like you know hit those shots with those training and um, you know training situations and all that. So um, special mention to him. 
Um, and yes, good luck to West Ham. Like we've spoken about them a lot before. We've spoken about how well balanced they are with Rice, Sushek, and Fonals. And yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to go into details about West Ham because we've done that countless times. But yeah, yeah um, credit to them and good luck. Yeah, and um, in the final game, which we won't really go in depth, um, Tottenham beat West Brom 1-0. Uh, it was a result which we expected. Well, I expected a, a bigger margin of victory. Uh, the goal was from Harry Kane, assisted by Matt Doherty in the 88th minute, which meant that Kane became the third fastest player to reach 150 Premier League goals, only behind Alan Shearer and Sergio Aguero. Um, and I'm sure that he was very happy about that, especially since there was a video of some, some ESPN uh, reporters who were laughing at how he speaks. And one of them says that at least he can play football and you know um, that was something that was extremely offensive. But I'm sure that he he really took it to heart because in this game uh, I just saw a stat that he had an xG of 0.6 something, which is more than Aubameyang for the entire season. But we'll get onto that later on when we talk about Arsenal. <laughs> Uh, so um, we'll yeah. we'll just uh, go just before into... you yeah. <laughs> oh, we we can we can go and I'm saying I'm fuming. I'm still fuming about the Arsenal stuff, but we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, Phil. Yeah, we move on. We move on to the big one. <laughs> okay, yeah, um... I'm, I'm agreeing with Mark. Um... Um, Man City drew 1-1 with Liverpool. Uh, the goal is coming from a penalty from Mohamed Salah. And uh, around 20 minutes later, a beautiful goal from Gabriel Jesus. Um, Man City, they obviously had the lion's share of possession, uh, 54.6% compared to Liverpool's 45.4%. Um, though Liverpool had more shots, 10 shots versus Man City 7. And um, the XG, uh, Man City had a larger XG with, it wasn't by that much, 1.58 against 1.19. And um, obviously, uh, Kevin De Bruyne missed a penalty and he, he, he is a weird start. He's the first player to outright miss a penalty. Like it's not saved or he doesn't hit the post since Riyad Mahrez against Liverpool in 2018. Mm. So, uh, Phil, what did you think about the game? It comes... Um, the first half was pretty good. It was a good game of football. They were out to play, both teams. I found it interesting that Klopp went with uh, their the Fab Four of Jota, Salah, Mane and Firmino. So, and it was interesting because Liverpool was still good uh, defensively. Of course, they got the penalty and Salah scored by, through a damn foul by Kyle Walker, I must add. But second half, I feel as if they cancelled each other out. It was very cagey, um, few chances, very few 
moments of brilliance. It's really it was more of a half that call was waiting for a mistake to happen rather than a moment of brilliance from uh star players that were on show. Yeah, definitely. And um Mark, what did you think about the game? Um Yeah, it was a really interesting game of football. Um let me first talk about the goals. Um you know, yes. Um I I think for their penalty, for the penalty that, you know, sort of like City gave away. Um this is that time I've seen Kyle Walker making such a mistake. Um I'll be honest, Kyle Walker has been pretty impressive um yeah. this season. I I won't lie, he's he's been very consistent but um over the games i've i've watched the the three four games that i've watched of city um he's always been making like like mistakes he's always been sort of like mistakes in terms of like he's sort of been like giving penalties away um i was seeing um a post match um analysis by Roy Keane and you know um Mika Richards and Roy Keane was saying that man found it easy to win a penalty because he was up against an idiot <laughs> which um <laughs> you know you, you know how Roy Keane tends to be when he he and um, because he called him an idiot for giving that penalty away um he was saying that he he doesn't learn um from his mistakes remember he gave that sort of like similar penalty away against Lekin was Jenny um, who got you know who got fouled by his fellow Sheffield mate you know so um i think the criticism on Kyle Walker is a bit harsh because it's it's totally unjustified given he's been pretty impressive otherwise apart from the two penalties that he sort of like given away this season which are and which have been you know it's he's just been unlucky and then again considering the quality of Jamie Vardy and Sadio Mane you know that they are capable of giving such penalties away winning penalties sorry so um i think that criticism was harsh um and then i'm going to talk about the Bruyne who surprisingly was you know out of sort in this game i think after he missed that penalty i think he didn't I think from there his confidence went low for that game. I know he's a quality player but you know um when you tend to miss penalties like that especially in key moments like that because that would have been a winning penalty it doesn't do your your confidence any world of good at least for the remaining minutes of the match. Um and it was the first time he he created zero chances given his you know he's usually been giving like 3.3 chances per game. and making 3.3 chances per game but he and then he didn't have any shot on target you know he missed that penalty so he struggled to perform um generally because i'm even seeing who scored gave him a rating of only 6.4 um you know so that means he wasn't that good uh, but you know um he can only learn from that and then i'm going to talk about um Trent Alexander Arnold Um I was yeah. saying over the weekend that Arnold in my opinion is a world class attacker but a below average defender if you get what I mean. Um I think as he gets older he'll develop into a more advanced role maybe as a mezala maybe in some sort of like central midfield position a player who drifts into the half space with and without the ball because he's too technical uh, we know his passing capabilities he's got the numbers assist wise to back for it 
but without the ball when it comes to defending he's not good i think he's sort of struggling without um sort of like fabinho to sort of like you know cover for him when he pushes up because uh, for that goal that that um gabriel jesus scored which was backup esque because it was it was it was a quality um piece of really skill good, before yeah the first touch before scoring you know um yeah. he got spinned around like a little rat which was embarrassing <laughs> for a player of qualities um and then um their fab four um Klopp has sort of gone back to a 4231 where he sort of used to like use a number 10 um Firmino personally is impressing me as a number 10 because that's his natural position um the team has been way over the top in my opinion because you can understand that but given how teams are highly structured nowadays and the quality of the premier league has improved um you expect him to sacrifice his game numbers always in front of goal that's why salah and famino are the ones who attack inside and score goals when they are playing in a 4433 that is but you know Yes he was lucky but he was impressive for the minutes that he played uh, behind um Salah and Jota who were sort of like rotating as the game went on um uh, depending on you know I think the purpose of that is to sort of like run at at, at the defenders Ruben Diaz and um, Amerik Laporte I think that was the purpose get on the defender's shoulder that's why he went for a 4231 but this game showed that they miss Fabinho that means one way or another they're going to go back to a 433 because um you know like i said fabinho is very important especially when they are full back sort of like push up uh, for the first time all two full backs were in pushing up to make a a 532 without the ball i think for the first time when trent pushed up Robertson would sit back and vice versa. So I think I think part of the reason they are doing that is because they already have four players attacking players so they don't need to sacrifice people at the back and given there is a lack of a natural DM it's important that they do that. But now when Fabinho is back I think they will go back to doing what they do which means one of the front four will have to be dropped. And that means um people will call for Fabinho to be dropped which looks like happening given he's been getting a lot of stick because he's not you know creating chances he's not scoring goals but he's too important for the dirty work but we'll see what will happen yeah definitely i, I feel as if uh, I, i feel as if firmino will be more important for for the games where they are playing against teams that sit back because firmino is very good at link up play jota yeah, is yeah. more jota is more expansive like he's he's a guy who likes to run a lot run into space uh make deadly runs uh through the defense so um it's not uh crystal clear that at he just goes Firmino is not performing I agree with Mark just goes Firmino is not performing doesn't mean he's not critical to how Liverpool play yeah. um but just before we move on there was this thing that um towards the end that club uh, had mentioned and club and pep were talking about and they were asked about it in the post match uh, conferences about uh, the inclusion of five subs the return of the rule of five subs within a match uh, what are your thoughts on that um yeah i think i think personally it has to happen now 
I think yeah. I think it's got to a point where it has to happen. Yes, they'll say that it's a disadvantage to sides with with especially these lesser sides that don't have a lot of quality players to make up the numbers, but I think it needs to happen. And the game against um Aston Villa, our symbolic display against Aston Villa is the reason I'm um, I'm calling for that rule to be rescinded because in my opinion um that game there were a lot of changes that needed to be made we needed more options and some of the players are not making the squad who can give us give us something different you know so in my opinion i think it needs to return as soon as possible i know it's it's a disadvantage to to all teams but hey i think it's going to give a lot of players a chance to show what they can do especially um teams like like Fulham and even um this you know low low tiers low low table sides that maybe need someone to give a moment of magic maybe a, a quality player from the academy you never know um, how what could happen maybe he could be given more responsibility be trusted and prove a difference to them you know so i, I think it needs to be to be reconsidered yeah definitely and um we will and we are speaking about um substitutes coming on and to be honest this next match there's a player who I didn't want to come on um Everton lost 3-1 to Man United uh, with the goals coming <laughs> from Bruno mm-hmm. he got a brace and he assisted Cavani in the 94th minute the only goal came from Bernard um we had more possession uh, 54.7% to man united's 45.3% they had more shots however uh 13 shots compared to our seven and the xg was much higher 1.60 against 0.38 and the substitute i'm talking about is dosun to be honest seeing seeing moisaken scoring for psg then cheng dosun is over here with attached to be honest even when i was in primary my touch wasn't that bad <laughs> and um basically uh man united they decided to to overload the right side since we we know that uh shemas coleman he he just came back from injury uh abdullah dukure he's more offensive minded so he wouldn't necessarily guard him that much so uh bruno was drifting to that side rashford was drifting to that side martial was drifting to that side and man united having with 51% of the attacks coming from that side and man united they continued their fight their fine form away from home and it came at the cost of giving ancelotti his third league loss in a row for the first time since 2006 when he was with AC Milan and to be honest he he does have a limited squad yes but the he's not in including anthony gordon who he he assisted a really beautiful goal like it was a counter attack mm-hmm. uh, it, it was cleared and he ran from the edge yeah. of his own box yeah yeah then he passed it to Taylor to Taylor Onyango and it was just something you would love to see then you 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 just remember in the previous match Alexi will be every chance he has to mm. cut inside 
and we still have Gilfi Sigurdsson starting. Mm-hmm. He yeah. basically offers nothing. He like he's there for creativity, but he didn't pass to Calvert Lewin even once in that game. <laughs> True, 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 true. I, 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 by the way, I saw you fuming after the game. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly feel as if Everton, uh, Everton were un- unable to... When they took Hammers off, I think the game ended there. Because yeah. it became a 4-4 with uh, two strikers who need service. And yet you have two wingers who don't cross the ball. <laughs> so you're dependent on Dinier and Coleman to overcommit, try and make uh, the, the crosses. Also, there's no one who's showing up for the ball when they are going forward. So every time Alan yeah. would look up or Dukure would look up, there's no one coming close for, to ask for the ball. So uh, I know Hamez is unfit and he's regaining fitness from his recent injury. But I think that's where United were won the game, uh, like, it confirmed the result, because let, let's be, uh, let's give credit to Manu's defense. Maguire was uh, unbelievably good that day. He yeah. handled mm-hmm. ECL pretty well. Oh, true. Um, okay, my thoughts on that game, uh, because I, I, I watched I watched that game, particularly, particularly in the second half. Uh, I watched that game in the second half, particularly, uh, but I watched the highlights for the for the first half. Um, to be honest, Bernard's goal was was quite good, but then from there you sort of like lapped your lines. Um, I'm going to talk about Bruno for a moment. Um, people have been calling him Bruno Fernandez, which is true, uh, because he's been scoring a lot of penalties. Uh, but at the same time, um, I saw somewhere like his his. In, in like 21 Premier League games, he's given a goal or uh, uh, he's, he's given a goal or assist, an unpenalty goal or assist, um, mm. 17 times, which shows he's also been pretty impressive on the ball. Um, you know, Alex was saying that, you know, I think he should, Bruno should give Ole Gunnar his salary because he's the reason he's still a manager of that club. Because ever since he, he arrived, ever since he arrived, ever since he arrived, by the way, it's all been Bruno. Because in 31, in 33 games, he's scored, I think, I don't know if it's that time, scored and assisted. I don't know if it's goals specifically what, but he scored or assisted that time. From thirty-three games, which goes to you. I remember people were throwing after that um, horrendous two-nil loss at home to Burnley when J. Rodriguez scored an absolute belter. Um, that's a game I'll never forget. And then fans were were camping outside, um, were lighting torches outside um, Ed Woodward's house. I'm calling for his head because it was like 12 hours left of the transfer window and Bruno was nowhere close to arriving. I think he was destined for Barcelona or something. So it goes to show you how important he's been. Um, And now from an Everton point of view, I think you guys are really, 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 and I mean Richarlison when I say this, (laughs) are really in dire need of someone who can who can, you know, 
make runs behind behind um the opposition defense um you are talking about anthony gordon um and i was asking you on saturday why is anthony gordon not in the squad and he's the one player other than gordon who's capable of making those runs and we were talking about a plan b um yes i understand there's some senior players who need game time someone like bernard but these are advanced playmakers uh bernard and and you know this uh, rodriguez guy are advanced playmakers they won't make runs in behind they are the ones to sort of like create even um sidgatson who's been a passenger in recent times that's what i was saying if possible maybe you can give that responsibility to dokore to make late runs and then someone like dcl i know dcl was holding up the ball kitambo but wasn't getting behind the ball the 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 opposition defense to score goals i think there are games where he won't be required to score alone he'll be required to sort of drop deep when these players like richardson are unavailable due to suspension or whatever reason and mm-hmm. hold up the ball for these box to box players the likes of gomez and and you know dukore to make runs from deep you know there are a lot of ways you can tinker with the squad and get goals as well because we know um, dukore has goals in him um but one way or another i think you're going to have to give gordon more responsibility because it's inevitable richardson will eventually move on um last season you reject last january transfer window you rejected a bid of 60 million pounds from barcelona for him that means he's a quality player and these big guns will be coming for him very soon um beta bayern beta barcelona or something so in as much as he's there you to sort of like you know give more responsibility to gordon while he's here so that such yeah. that by the time um richardson is moving on um gordon will will have become the next big thing like the way dcl is right now he's the talk of everyone he's scoring goals for fun he's the inzaghi you know he's the messiah so called messiah of the england <laughs> national team and he's keeping him on the bench you know and people are calling for wow. greenish putting the you know sort of like the messiah you know like in roy kins words you know so um you know there are a lot of ways that Ancelotti can work with that squad. I know it's limited, but there are plan Bs as well. You can't keep relying on Gomez and Richarlison to create for DCL. It can't always work. And last game showed that. Uh, Junma, yeah, I have a question yeah. for you. Um, I, I know you've been posting a lot about um, this, your squad needs time. You, 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 uh, you need a few transfer uh Ancelotti needs a few transfer windows to move out those deadweight players uh Gilfisigetson Chenk and all those players but do you think uh right now Everton could be a very good cup team like you guys right now in the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup if I believe uh yeah. do you think that realistically uh Everton should be aiming to qualify for the maybe not champions but the Europa League and try and nick uh a cup here or there what are your thoughts on that yeah definitely i think um it's it's pretty much the best and the only way to be honest of of winning a trophy within like three years since 1995 that's the last time like we won a trophy i think it was the FA Cup um we are really mm-hmm. like set up to more more or less just attack and 
other teams they necessarily they won't um really emphasize on the cup games like the, the Carabao Cup the FA Cup and it could really be a loophole especially the FA Cup in case we don't like finish 7th or 6th it's a way of of qualifying for the Europa League either way I also think it has that benefit of attracting uh, players uh, to your club because if Everton starts winning, you know, or yeah. you have um, a multi-winning coach, you guys have won a trophy under him for such a long time. It's It builds the rep because I know there's been this speculation and you'll tell me more about, about Isco coming, to, coming on loan from Real. And that's a, that's a big move. That, that moves on people like uh, Sigurdsson because of the how good is we know how good Isco can truly be uh, with the ball, with his creativity that can really help out, like almost lessen the burden on players like Hammers, but really benefit players like DCL and Richardson. So I feel like that could be a realistic target for Everton. Yeah, and he could be a realistic target for Arsenal, by the way, because we are in dire need of creative players. Because um, right now, I will get to that, but at the same time, um, he's an advanced playmaker, yes. Uh, Everton, in my opinion, up at the defense other than Richarlison. Um, Isco is a similar ilk of player to James Rodriguez. So, yes, it will be an exciting signing. Uh, and yes, it's, it will be a lone move. But still, um, I think they do with someone who's sort of like similar to, or if not similar to, a more complete version of Richarlison, in my opinion. It's an exciting signing, yes. But I think, you know, right now, right now, for me and, and Arsenal, I know we'll get to that. I think we're in dire need of someone of Isco's quality because we are 19th in the league for chances created. Nine goals in like eight games, which is a shocking start to talk about Arsenal, by the way. <laughs> Actually, we'll, we'll, we're, we're just moving on to Arsenal. Um, Aston Villa went to the Emirates and they absolutely they 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 just they started the game fantastically um in the 45th second i think uh john McGinn lasered a shot into the top corner but it was ruled off because ross Buckley was just in front of Grant mm. leno but it, it didn't take them that mm. long to take the lead in the 25th minute bukayo saka had an own goal and basically it became the McGinn watkins and Jack really show, and oh, and yeah. Which did I mention Buckley? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You didn't mention him. Oh yeah, it basically just became their show, and Oli Watkins got two with an assist from Buckley and Grealish. So uh, we mm. start with Phil because I know Mark, you, you have a lot to say. He, I am fuming. <laughs> then I'll go first and I'll, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you be yeah. I'll go first and I'll let you be um, 
it's a it's a result that shocked me because even though I wasn't I didn't personally watch the game, I was keeping tabs on it, and I'm seeing one last one. Then I was like, okay, um, Arsenal could pick up the pace. I see two nil, then quickly three nil. I'm like, eh, I really need to go and research what people are saying about the match, uh, about yeah, especially the second goal. How deep? How there were like there was a line of eight players. Mm. Along the eighteen uh, yard line, where yeah. where Douglas Lewis has so much space around it to pick a to pick a pass to Barkley, and uh, assist Watkins. I think it's a very good result for Aston Villa. Arsenal need to go to the drawing board. I think they are very very static. They are very um, they are they are very structured, so it makes them so disjointed. Almost yeah. like it's very robotic. It's not fluid. Um, uh, there's this start I read, and I'm I'm sure you guys have seen it. Uh, that Harry Maguire has had more shots on target than Aubameyang and Lacazette. Harry Maguire wow. is a centre back, so it's a really, it's a really, it really shows. That Arsenal are in need of a creative midfield. I don't think Ozil is the answer as much as people are uh, really wanting to come back. However, political, politically motivated, uh, the decision was to drop him. I think um, Arsenal will need to do away with the three-four-three because the three-four-three requires uh, players that the, the wingers to be really good. Uh, almost like advanced playmakers, like uh, you need a hazard kind of player. And I don't think either will be three three to a four three three or four two three one. That way you can you have that extra attacking uh, spot for a player like Awa, who I don't I think you guys are gonna go for or. Um, Slow yeah. slow boat. Yeah, yeah. No. Mark, take the take yeah. over, take over. <laughs> no, I am fuming. There is a lot I have to talk about. I am fuming. I am staggered at how international footballers can get run at like by a team that got promoted only two seasons ago. I am fuming. I'm flabbergasted. Now, um, let me let me let me talk about the game faster. Huh? Um, mm-hmm. before the game, I was I was telling guys, these guys need to take care of Jean McGinn. They need to take care of of Ross Barkley, and they need to take care of Jack Grealish because those three players specifically are what are going to put Villa into the top ten at the end of the season. Um, Jean McGinn is sort of like a Jaka who can run and is more mobile and is more creative. Left-footed angles. That boy understands football, and I love him very much. Um, there is a reason I call him Villa's best best player. People will talk about Grealish because he's English, so the hype train is going to be through the roof. I know he's a quality player, but people don't look at Jean McGinn. If Jean McGinn was English, people would be calling him the the, the English Xavi or the English Iniesta. You know. Oh. So, That's a bit um, of a stretch. <laughs> um, no, no, I, I won't let. And even the fa- within the first 46 seconds, he he netted a goal that Leno stood no chance of saving. I didn't, didn't think he, he even saw it because personally I was caught by surprise. And then 
and luckily VAR ruled it out because Buckley was standing in, in the way from an offside sort of like position. But that was a clean goal and I was fuming because it wasn't allowed to stand because he was in my FPL. So those points would have been massive. <laughs> um, but, you know, from then on, I think these guys were so scared of the quality of Grealish because Grealish and Buckley in particular were towing. You know, they were sort of like triple marking, trying to triple mark them out of the game to the point they were they were getting there, they were creating space for themselves. We know these two players are quality, the talent, you know, they've got the ability to take men on. You know, they've got goals in them, they've got assists in them. And you know, we Buckley finally starting to to, to show the, the the potential in him at the age of 26. At Chelsea, he was, I didn't think he was that quite impressive. He showed glimpses, but wasn't quite that impressive. But he's starting to show his form when he broke through at, at Everton. And everyone was excited around him, calling him the next Rooney, you know. Um, but, um, you know, they were triple marking them out of the game to the point they were forgetting that they are other players. Like, for, for, particularly for the first goal, um, if I was the manager, if I was the manager after that first goal was considered, and I blame William specifically, he didn't track the run of Taylor. So Taylor was running to the half space. You know, he ran to the half space, gave the ball back to Grealish. Grealish gave it to Buckley, who gave a quality sort of like pass. No one saw it to Taylor, who sort of like cut it across for Trezeguet, you know. But then it turned out to be a Bukayosaka own goal. If I was the manager at halftime, I'd be, I'd be swinging punches at William because that guy, for that first goal, I don't know why, he, he was ball-watching, you know? So um, this guy called Holding was constantly being isolated. That's why he was being ganged up on. And you can't blame him because even Bellerin wasn't there to help him. So he was being caught on one-on-one a lot of times. And you know when you're up against a play of Grealish's quality, you're always going to get punished. So that's why if I was the manager at halftime, I'd be swinging punches at William and I'd be swinging punches at Bellerin because those guys were having a shocking game. And then um, in the second half, Douglas Lewis was given so much space, so much space to the point when he received the ball, no one was closing him down. And then... He, he whipped in a pass from Grealish, who headed it directly into the path of Watkins, who scored. And then for the third goal, you couldn't write it down, could you? But of course you could, because um, this guy called Martinez, who I was fuming, was let go. And, you know, even Tony Adams in the Sky Sports interview was saying we made a mistake letting him go because he's finally come of age. He's statistically one of the best keepers in Europe this season. You know, he's a leader. He's showing how vocal he is. He's undoubtedly going to be Argentina's first choice keeper at the, at the Copa America, you know. Um, you know, he gave, uh, he, he received the ball. He commanded his area from across from Tierney and then rolled it out to Grealish, who made a free run like 30, 40 yards before passing it to Atkins, who netted that goal. I, I'm telling you, I was so fuming. And Bellerin, instead of like closing him down, He's sort of like running with him like a headless chicken, you know. So in the, <laughs> at the end of it all, at the end of it all, we we you know we we looked so out of form, out of ideas, and that's why I'm telling you I'm fuming. And this is the first time I've seen under Ateta the team playing like there was no desire, no passion. Um, 
in my opinion, I, I blame Ateta as well because Ateta is backing instructions constantly. Ever since Ateta took over, I don't think I've ever seen him sitting down on the manager's bench. For 90 minutes, he's always in constant communication. So, like, even there was an article by The Athletic where James McNicholas was talking about um, VR were dictated by the talents of the likes of Barkley, Grealish, and McGinn, while Arsenal was being dictated by Ateta. It's like, for every every touch, Ateta is telling them where to pass next. I think he tends to over, uh, overthink stuff, and that's why we got punished, uh, and rightly so. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird league because this is a league where Leicester on top of the league and only three, like, four weeks ago um, were humiliated at home by West Ham three goals to nil, you know. And this is a league where Manchester United were beaten 6-1 by Tottenham at home, you know. This is a league where, you know, we've seen teams getting weird results at home, but maybe it turns out to be good. Um. Right now, people are calling for Joe Willock to be given a chance. I'm calling for Emil Smith-Rowe to be given a chance. And Rhys Nelson, who I know he's been injured, that's why he isn't playing. But they need, these players need to be given a chance because in the Europa League, they are very impressive. You know, they are taking men on. They are performing at a very high level. They are scoring goals. But then the Premier League is saying they have to earn their place. So what more do they have to do in the Europa League to be given chances? Because they are the only ones who can sort of like play in those half spaces. You can't rely on Ozil right now because yes, it's political, like Phil said, it's political. I analyzed it uh, with that situation about Ozil where he spoke against Muslim persecution in China. He spoke against Muslim persecution in China. And then after that, um, you know, his avatar was taken taken off their best games. You know, um, his Weibo account of seven million followers was wiped off. His his such such engines like Wikipedia um, wiped Ozil's achievements off. So it's been very political why he was dropped, and he's not the one. I've been telling people he's not the player he once was. He's finished at the top level. But you can't tell me that he, he can't give us an option as a squad player, you know, because we are in need of someone who can drift between the lines. And that's why I've been saying Ateta needs to free Joe Willock and Emil Smith-Rowe because they can give us something different. Even Tony Adams was saying that, and Tony Adams is, is Arsenal's, you know, he's called Mr. Arsenal. He's a legend. He has a, a statue outside the Emirates, and he was saying we can't keep ostracizing this academy boys because they can give us something different. Like the class of 92, um, where Ferguson even said in his book he couldn't keep, you know, um, blocking by their development. So he had to sell the likes of Paul Lins, you know, to create space for the likes of Ryan Giggs, you know. So a lot of questions have to be asked about Ateta. Uh, and, you know, fans are already starting to call for his head. I still think he needs time, you know. He needs to bring those soft, sort of, like, players in. But we need results yesterday, and we need to be making the, making the top four. I don't want another season of Europa League football against the likes of Dundalk and teams that I've never heard of before in my life. So I am fuming and I am flabbergasted, you know. Um, and that's what I'm saying on matters um, on matters sort of like desire because there was no desire. I'd go the Roy Keane and sort of like Gennaro Gattuso way of management when he was at AC Milan and now at Napoli. When players aren't up to the task, you swing punches at them because democracy can't work. Because um, 
you know at the end of the day you've got to 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 play for your families you know you've got to play for the fans you've got to play for the team you know um personally i i can't play like that and go home to my wife and kids and smile in front of them because it's embarrassing honestly that display and that's what i'm saying i've not been that embarrassed ever since the 10-2 humiliation by bayern munich in fact not even 10-2 and um, because if you compile from the season before that they'd given us another like 5-1 so that's like 15-3 you know i've never been embarrassed since that result you know so i don't know i don't know um, If I keep talking about Arsenal, by the way, I'm going to break things right now, and I don't want to. <laughs> okay, uh, so we'll 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 move on to your London rivals, uh, Chelsea. On Saturday, they beat Sheffield 4-1. Um, they of course dominated the game. Uh, they had 70% possession. They had 20 shots compared to Sheffield six. Um, the goals came from Magoljic, who 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 stopped. Uh, Mendy's streak of not conceding. Uh, Tammy Abraham made it 1-1. Then Hakim Ziyech basically took over. Uh, he assisted Ben Chirwell and Thiago Silva. And Timo Werner made it 4-1 to put the results beyond doubt. So, um, Phil, mm-hmm. since you're a Chelsea fan, what did you think about the game? A game made by weekend. That game really made me smile. Like at first, to be honest, I'll be honest with you guys. At first, when I saw Magaldrick score, I was like, "Let it not be those games where like Chelsea are unable to break down a team. It ends up one nil, and then we are the talk of the <laughs> we are the talk of the week or the two weeks since it's international break." But um, I was very happy with Hakim Ziyech, man of the match uh, by far. It's interesting because he's only played like 190 minutes for us, but he has the most assists in our team. He has the most big chances created. So I've, I'm very happy that uh, Frank Lampard is integrating him slowly. Um, I think that's right wing sport is his. I don't think Havertz or Havertz will be moved more centrally, but I don't think anyone will drop Zayac from that uh, position. Zuma and Silva looked solid. Mendy, despite the goal, looked solid as well. I liked his commanding style of always coming for crosses and calling it out. So it sorted out uh, a lot of the crosses that Sheffield liked to uh, deliver into the box. Chelsea, I think Chelsea are in a good spot. I. I'm very optimistic. I feel as if right now Lampard will start uh, Chelsea are morphing into like Man City in terms of we now have too many quality attackers. So like yeah. every week we will be coming will be showing up with uh let's say Vana, Vana and Tammy on the they begin together then another weekend it would be Vana Pulisic uh with Zaysh and Havertz. Uh, who I think when he comes back he'll most likely take up uh, Kovacic's position against lesser teams and then I don't know I, I personally and this is just a personal preference I don't really like <laughs> I don't 
I I don't like Vana in a creative sense. He's very one dimensional. He's a getting behind True. guy. He's a, he he plays left winger but cuz he keeps on starting Tammy. I always prefer if he's playing Vana left winger, he plays Giroud and not Tammy as up front because Giroud is way better at hold up play. Giroud is way better at hold up play so like he could always lay off the ball for Vana to always run in behind but it's Frank is the manager I just I just don't feel as if Vana is the kind of guy who when you start in the wing you, you expect anything other than you know like, like the goal is scored it came out of nowhere and credit to him is a is a world, like he's a finisher that's his trait but I think that's just his trait so Uh, Frank has to think I think Frank Lampard has to think about uh, that a bit more like trying to integrate Pulisic uh back in I feel bad for Callum Hudson-Odoi cuz I don't think he'd be playing that much maybe in the right wing he'll have to move into a right wing but yeah, yeah things are looking up for Chelsea yeah, I'll end it there things are looking up yeah um I'm going to talk about first Sheffield United. Um you know me I'm, a, I'm personally a big fan of Chris Wilder. Um let that be known. Uh, I won't lie things aren't looking rosy for, rosy for him but you know um they are they're going to miss Jaco Connell who is out with with an ACL injury that means he's out for the rest of the season and you know how integral he is to bomb, bombing forward as an overlapping center back from the left and he gives them those left footed options um personally i think it's not that his system is bad his back three are iconic but of course you know um, fight and desire can only take you as far and even the players that you are working with to be honest most of those Sheffield United players are championship standard players in fact in my opinion Wilder has overachieved up to now he's overachieved with Sheffield United mm-hmm. yeah uh, because someone like David McGoldrick has only netted four three premier league four premier league goals in his entire career and two of them were three of them are against Chelsea and one's against Arsenal you know that goes to show you how out of sorts he is in front of goal you know Um but Chelsea's quality was just too much. Um I have to mention Hakim Ziyech who um has proven to be you know before Lampard was sort of like putting players together and hoping something out of nothing would happen because they're good players but then the return of Ziyech from injury has sort of like given you something different. He's left-footed, you know, and he gives you those sort of like options. He's creating chances. And I was fuming at the fact that for my FPL because he's in my FPL, he created one chance for Vana and then Vana flapped his right lines when he got in behind. I I I personally felt like breaking something because that was a chance Vana should have buried because I was a clear exactly. chance. Um, you know, but you know he's given you something different you know um, i like him um you know a lot of chelsea fans are making fun about how we arsenal were unable to sign him because he is a self proclaimed arsenal fan and he he he, he put um he pointed um out mesut ozil as his idol as someone he'd like to play with and learn from but you know um you know we are not the transfer committee at the end of the day and 
I think he's a quality player. Getting him for 30 million pounds was an absolute steal. I saw somewhere that um, he cost you guys as much as Mesut Ozil and Aubameyang's wages put together in a year. You know, <laughs> that goes to show you um, how cheap you, you got him. You got him for an absolute bargain. I think he's going to be a revelation in the Premier League. It's still early days, uh, but you can tell he's going to be a quality player. Maybe the only doubts I have about ZH personally, even when he was at Ajax, was the fact that, you know, he's not bulked up, you know. You know, it's early days, but he's looking like a player who's going to be very important for you guys in the years to come. Then maybe after like five years, like Arsenal do typically, um, we give pensions <laughs> expired Chelsea players like Terry Lewis. <laughs> You know, me, me by the personally, I'm fuming at the fact that we were unable to to bring in a clear Arsenal fan who's top quality, but we decided to give a player like William Wages, a player who's who's yes, I know he's 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 important tactically. He was part of the Brazilian squad that won the Copa America. He played 51 times for you guys last season. He was statistically having his best season last season, but still he's 32. And now we gave him a three-year contract. Maybe, maybe by this, speaking of which, I don't know why Ateta has been sticking with Lacazette and William, who are clearly out of sorts. Maybe Kia is saying that he has to play a specific number of minutes. Otherwise, he's going to tear up his contract and leave. You know, I don't know. But, you know, maybe in like five years' time, we can bring him, bring him, bring him in when he's in. In his batteries or something. Like I'm seeing a lot of you guys wondering us, you know. <laughs> Let me ask that you can now in five years' time you, you start complaining about ZH not performing. <laughs> exactly, you know, because Arsenal has become like the team that is giving finished Chelsea players a lifeline in the Premier League. Peter Czech, you know, David Lewis. William, you know. <laughs> but it's banter anyway, it's banter. Yeah. 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 And um on to the, the final game. Uh Leicester, they beat Wolves one nil with the only goal coming from a Jamie Vardy penalty. He also mm. missed a penalty, I, I think. Um and basically this was a pretty even game when when Leicester got their first goal, they they didn't necessarily sit back, but they weren't uh, obliged to attack and it meant they had a 50-50 possession. Uh, Leicester had 10 shots compared to Wolves' 8 and the XG was to their favor of course because they had two penalties, 2.05 against Wolves' 0.58. So um, basically I think the penalty against Max Kilman was it was a stretch. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the handball. I think, yeah, I think yeah, I was even about to suggest we like we segue to the handball rule. I, I, I think I'm among, I'm among the very few people who actually, uh, for this handball rule, and I'll tell you why. I think when you, I know it's weird when you have situations like the Max Kilman and the Joe Gomez. Uh, penalty incidents over the weekend where the ball is just hurtling at them and then they have no chance of taking their uh, hand away. But 
what I like about this handball rule is like it does not it does not try to gauge what is the intent of a player. Yeah. Like when in terms of touching the handball. Like if you're if you hit on the hand, however accidental, however intentional, that is still a handball. So maybe it could be more of a case where I don't know. I still think those penalties are still penalties because you're still handling the ball. Trying to say at the Bruyne shot at you at 100 kilometers an hour, hence you couldn't take the, your hand away. Um, on, a, on a logical level, that doesn't make sense. But I get why there's so much uh, debate about it. I personally don't think that they should change. I, being a Chelsea fan, know that next week, the next weeks could probably not win a game because we considered a late penalty because of that. Uh, God forbid. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that the handball rule should remain the same because it's something we'll just get used to. Um, okay. Around game week three or something, game week two or three, there were similar incidences. Um, with the world situation against Dinya and, you know, um, the situation between uh, Maguire and, you know, sort of like um, Neil Mope, um, it sparked a lot of debate. Um, but from a defender's perspective, um, you know, even when we play ball, when we play Sunday League football, when we play League Indogo um, as sort of like non-professional players who are just playing for fun, you know when you're defending, it's very difficult to sort of like defend with your arms to the back, you know. And when you're up against players now professionally, when you're up against a player like Sadio Mane or maybe a player like Jota or Salah, I mean, sorry, 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 sorry. When you're up against a player, um, forgetting it was Gomez who, was, who, was, who fell victim, sorry. When you're now up against a player like, you know, sort of like I said, Sterling, a player like... Mares, you know, it's very difficult to defend with your arms at the back, you know, it's unrealistic. You have to sort of like take a yard back and see what they're trying to do before you, your instincts tell you how to defend. And you can't do that. At that point, you can't be thinking about putting your hands at the back because it's going to be to imbalance you. It's going to imbalance you and then eventually you're going to be ran past that and look like a clown, which, you know, to be fair, is... And really, you know, it's unrealistic to defend like that because you're not thinking that way. So I think um, this rule is favoring the attacker a lot. It's, it's favoring the attacker. I think people want entertainment. People want goals. So I think when FIFA amended this rule, they amended it with that, you know, sort of like I say, thought in mind. But at the same time, in my opinion, I think, um, I think, Maybe it should change. Maybe they need to be lenient um, towards the defenders because you have to understand you can't come up against quality like that and not defend with with your arms straight, you know, because it's purely unintentional. It's 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 literally like ball to hand, but only this time when the ball hits you, it's a penalty, and there is nothing you can do about it. I think, but I think when they amended it, they said, you see, like that situation with what and and Dinya. I think a few weeks later, um, they came up with, they amended that rule a little bit and said 
that's not a penalty. I think that's what they did. That, um, that ding and, and sort of, like I said, what situation wouldn't be a penalty, but maybe the Killman one would. But I think it's still too harsh. What do you guys think? Um, okay. Uh, personally, um, I'm a defender. And, like, let's say, for example, the, the, the Joe Gomez uh, penalty the penalty which he conceded. Like he's trying to keep up and to stop the low ball from from coming from De Bruyne, which is exactly. basically be, be, between the back exactly. line and the goalkeeper. So of course he's trying to run mm. to anticipate where the ball will go. So obviously his hand will will go up as he's trying to propel himself. So um, to be honest, it's it's like I saw a video of the guys at at the VR center, like one of them was showing perhaps the the referee on on that day, like the the running motion of Joe Gomez and why it wouldn't be a penalty. So I I think it's a really controversial thing. Um, I thought they are told to use common sense, but when something is Put ahead of you in slow motion. When you're looking at it in slow motion, it always looks worse. It always looks more intentional. You don't yeah. really get the whole picture. And I think it. Yeah. I think for 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 handballs, they should just use like the normal motion, so that the, the referee can see. I I hear you. Like it should be. They should be that rule. Yes. Like general guidelines. Like. Uh, if your hand is away from the body, it's above your shoulders and stuff like that. They should use those general guidelines, but they treat it as a case-by-case, case-to-case basis. Yeah. Instead of applying a one-size-fits-all rule to uh, to situations where they are so nuanced and they are so critical towards determining the result of a match. So I guess it's a, it's an incentive to referees to, like, for referees to be invited to check uh, the VR monitors more, yeah. and that normal motion, as you said, instead of the slow uh, slow motion uh, that always makes it seem like, you know, I really want to block this ball with my hand. Like it, it always <laughs> communicates that the defender is thinking that way. Yeah. So yeah, I feel as if you're, you're you're right in the fact that it should be a. Uh, it should be played in normal motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. definitely. So, um, guys, uh, that's the end of the podcast. Do do you have anything to add on? Uh, Phil, how can the people reach you, like on IG or whatever? Uh, follow me at Phil uh, on Instagram. Uh, and that's my only social platform as for now. Yeah, and Mark. Yeah, um, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter, Instagram at Kenya underscore Y, um, where we give more insights on the game that we all love. Um, and if you are not new to the Touchline Maniacs, you can like, share, and subscribe because snippets from this podcast appear uh, on the channel. Um, help us uh, grow, you know. Um, let us, you know, share our footballing views together. 
And, you know, as always, we'll talk to you in a while. And, you know, we can't wait for next week's podcast. I, I, there won't be a weekend recap, but still, we can't wait. Yeah, so for, for next week, I'm thinking about doing a, a basically a ranking or a review of the young players outside Europe's big, big five leagues who should join ah. uh, big, bigger clubs. Uh, that's a that's a dope topic to talk about. Yeah, outside topic. top five leagues, right? Outside yeah. top five leagues. Yes. Or who should you know, now join? Or now who should now join the top five leagues, right? Yeah, Just like ah, nice. Like Batsandaka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, 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 true. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening. For listening, and we'll catch you next week. Goodbye. Cheers, guys. Goodbye. Bye-bye. He tends to be...